and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of women's voices, and it wishes to break cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East, as well as educate and empower the younger generation of Middle Eastern women who were stripped of their historical reference and weren't necessarily raised to believe in their agency and power to create their own destiny. I'm Amal Malki. I'm a feminist, scholar, and educator. I'm also the author of Arab Women in Arab News, Old Stereotypes and New Media. I created this podcast to be an extension and an update of the book and its main topics. Hello, and hope you're all well. Thanks to all who emailed and contacted me via social media. Your sincere wishes and prayers have certainly reached me. I'm grateful and I'm happy to say that I fully recovered from COVID-19. Well, corona or no corona, do stay in touch. For episode 5, I've chosen to speak to you about uh, role models in the Arab world and and the MENA region and uh, the importance of role modeling as well within our societies in changing gender roles. Um, I've also recorded uh, a very interesting interview with um, uh, Al Jazeera TV producer and presenter uh, Rawa Ojay, um, whom I'm sure you will enjoy listening to. I'll uh, end the episode by playing a song that was produced by Al Jazeera Network as well for the celebration of International Women's Day. Let me start by saying, women can more easily enter a culture of achievement when from their youngest memories as girls, such a culture is already visible for them to enter. There seems to be two kinds of such role models, which we shall call individualized and strategic role models. Individualized role models are women who may inspire girls without providing models that are easy for others to emulate. Their achievement may be leveraged through wealth, social position, inheritance, or lucky circumstances that ordinary girls cannot reproduce. Strategic role models are women of achievement whose success is reproducible through instruction and training. Strategic role models make the roots of their success visible and reproducible for the next generation of women. The Arab Human Development Report of 2005 on the rise of Arab women put some stock in the individualized role models. As Al-Hamid writes in the foreword, the achievements of individual Arab women must be, and I quote, must be the starting point for Arab development efforts, unquote. While the report uh, pays homage to the traditional role women have played in family and social structures, it seeks to balance that role against newly emerging non-traditional roles of women achievers across the spectrum of professions and institutions of civil society and in political and emancipatory movements. The report goes on to discuss the cultural barriers cited in, in previous reports that must be lifted for Arab women to achieve their full potential. The impetus for lifting these barriers comes from the understanding of Arab women's achievements, potential and the huge cost of, to society, as well as to each woman personally when they are not allowed to live, it, to live up to it. The report then goes on to profile the achievements of individual Arab women in literature, arts, cinema, the social and natural sciences, athletics, and entrepreneurship. The 2005 report recognizes that female empowerment programs that are too individualized have certain limitations. Role models cut too close to the lives of specific individuals may turn into tokens idols and celebrities rather than true role models. The danger of role models that are too individualized is that they may encourage tokenism practices, bringing cosmetic solutions to long-standing and deeply rooted societal problems. Strategic role models, by contrast, inspire study, emulation, and admiration, but not celebrity worship or adulation. The 2005 report addresses the limits 
of role models for Arab women that have become too individualized. It asserts that reducing the gender empowerment deficit in the Arab world calls for more than a symbolic makeover that lets a few Arab women advance at the expense of the many. The report advocates strategic thinking about Arab women's empowerment at the societal level, by which it means finding ways for Arab women to attain a critical mass and positions of leadership and power. But what might such a strategy be? The report divides its answers to this question into two parts. The first part is to ensure the short-term legal enforcement of Arab women's rights so that all barriers to developing their capacities and capabilities to their fullest potential are, are removed. To this end, the report calls for the protection of women's rights in the home and beyond, and the guarantee of legal and institutional changes in compliance with the UN Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. It further calls for affirmative action practices and the hiring of Arab women, at least until women reach a critical mass that would make such policy unnecessary. The second part, even more ambitious, call or calls for radical long-term shift in societal thinking that would ensure that Arab women, competitively educated and trained, would be accorded fair access to leadership positions systematically as an unexceptional cultural group rather than a one-token-at-a-time cultural exception. Planning for such a seismic shift calls for a new ideology about women in Arab societies and new social movements to help spread it. These new social movements would depend, according to the report, on networks for of women and men working at the national and transnational level across the Middle East and North Africa. Individual female models can certainly fit into this strategic planning, but in order to do so, their personal example must be accompanied by strategic thinking. Contrast to individualized female role models which present Arab women of achievements to younger Arab women without strategies for reproducing their success, strategic female role models seek to unify personal examples with the replication strategies required to build critical mass. segment, I'll be talking to Rawaha OJ. Rawaha is a presenter and producer of Women's Voices or, or Bikasrita at Al Jazeera Arabic Channel. Rawaha joined Al Jazeera as a news presenter in 2014, covering a series of reports from the Central African Republic, Bosnia and Lebanon. She covers numerous events for Al Jazeera, including coverage of the United Nations General Assembly meetings. Raha has also conducted a number of high-profile interviews for the channel, including the interview with Nobel Prize winner Nadia Murad during the Doha Forum of 2018. Raha spoke to me about how it is like to be a woman. She delved into memories of childhood and early adulthood that has shaped her. She touched upon many topics that any woman anywhere in the world can relate to. She speaks about her personal experience with postpartum depression and sexual harassment. She also speaks about Western stereotypes of Arab women as an Arab who lived in Paris for some time. She talks about her program on Al Jazeera network because Ritta are um, as translated into English women's voices. Um, she speaks about the strength and support needed to produce and present such a program that is focused on women's issues. Rauha is a strong and brave woman. I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to her as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Rauha, it's lovely to have you on the Women of the Middle East podcast. I bet this will be a very special segment and a very special episode because it's not one that would focus on one um, experience. Um, definitely, we will be talking about your personal experience, but also about multiple experiences that you have um, been in contact with um, on different levels. But to begin with, um, I'd like to um, maybe frame it as um, we will be talking more about the intersections uh, that um, 
that has been um, playing a, a huge role in your life, uh, the personal and the professional. And I am interested in both the personal and the professional. The personal is the political, right? So uh, could you tell us a bit about yourself um, as a woman, as a mother, uh, and um, as a professional as well? Um. Well, if we want to put it in the perspective of a woman, I have to start by I am a daughter. Um, I actually recently discovered that my whole childhood and my experience with my mother is actually what shaped me into being uh, this woman today. I am the daughter of a mother who uh, had severe postpartum depression and as a child, and at the in the 80s no one really understood what it was so um it was really severe and uh just people around us were telling us that uh, we should just try avoid uh pissing her off we should try uh, to protect her and that no we cannot go to a psychiatrist not ask for help because what will other people and or about her or about my father or that she's gone crazy and uh so my entire life i was was the eldest so i was in charge of my sister and my brother because my mom was was someone who was not able to be there um, at the same time i i don't hold any grudges against her on the contrary on the very short times when she was able to be uh, mentally present with us she taught us um how to be strong and she taught us that it's very important uh, to be true to ourselves and not to think about anyone else and this is when I start thinking who are these people who will be talking about us and um, I think this is when I really became someone independent and strong and free because I realized that these people even if they talk what do they bring into my personal life like why would they people bother these people bother calling my mom crazy or unfit mom if we say that she's uh, she's not being able to uh, care for us whereas they don't do anything to provide this care i mean why there's no such um, positive intervention from society on the contrary they like to be judgmental but they don't offer help and i think this is what shaped my entire life uh it's not to be, um, I mean, I, I always tell myself that I don't judge people because no one really understands what they're going through. But if there's something I can do, I should do it instead of just being like, oh, she shouldn't be treating her kids. Oh, she went crazy or, or what so on. And I think this is really what shaped me. I understood postpartum depression at the age of 30. So you have to imagine all these 30 years where where you are really questioning what was wrong with our mom? What, what did we do wrong? Where, where did we do wrong as kids? Why weren't, wasn't she able to love us? And then you realize that she actually loved us. She just, she just needed a pill and no one just wanted to give her that pill uh, because of their invalid norms and invalid lines and uh, imaginary lines, I would say. And so, as a daughter of uh, a depressed mom, <laughs> uh, I think this is what really shaped everything in my life. I, I never really felt uh, uh, that I'm rebellious. Now some people tell me that I'm rebellious, but I never really struggled. Um, I, uh, I did things uh, without thinking of this imaginary barrier. So in a way, I didn't feel the struggle itself. Uh, and. Uh, for other people, they see it as a, as, as a rebellion. Uh, I don't because I just don't uh, recognize these uh, dictatorships in a way. So, so that's it. So this is how I went into... I decided early, I used to read a lot. So I always uh, thank the French Cultural Center in, in Tripoli in the north of Lebanon because we were at a generation post-war also. So like everything was being under construction nothing was as easy as today or accessible so this heaven was really sacred for me and helped me a lot because i found so many answers in books uh, and it taught me that i really need to study 
and that uh, the, the key to anything in my life to, to success is education, uh, job, financial security. And I understood, I think this whole experience made me understand that financial security is very important for women to have their, their own decision to be free to, uh, to do what they want uh, or what, they, what is true to themselves and what they deserve also because we have this uh, mentality that we don't deserve in a way to be, to be uh, free, to be uh, true, to be independent. So, so yeah, this is how it started and uh, I had lots of period of when I was lost of course in my life. I did the math the first year in, at university uh, and uh, then I failed uh, for for it was actually the first time I get um, sexually harassed during the exam by a controller uh, no. you know I since I was a very uh, how would I say I was a very wise a teenager like I knew that this will end that and that there's no point to lose my future for teenagers <laughs> so so I was like just studying or going out no friends no uh, just focused on I need to get out through education so I need to make it to, uh, to university um, best equipped as possible so I was uh, I was never really in a situation where I where I confronted this type of harassment and it affected me What's a lot. Were you aware? Uh, any, uh, I have lots of friends, okay, at our age, 30s and 40s, who told me that the Me Too uh, movement is what opened their eyes to the reality that they've been sexually harassed in their lives without even recognizing that it was sexual harassment. Did you actually uh, know that that was sexual harassment? Uh, no, there were levels. I would guess me to open my eyes to smaller details, smaller sexual harassment. Mm. But the one I suffered in, uh, during the exam was like a very direct and open. Yeah. And so uh, the, the guy was really uh, obscene with what he was the controller, the supervisor, and he, he actually uh, was very open about what he wanted me to do in class. Uh, so, so that was very clear. <laughs> but yes, I guess the Me Too opened my eyes to many little things that uh, I never really paid attention to or thought that, uh, yeah, maybe it's normal. And I, I think I, what I would love to tell teenagers today is that don't, don't, don't be intimidated. Don't let the predator uh, get you to think that, no, maybe you're getting him wrong. Yeah. When you feel, you, there's something you feel about harassment. There are some people who tell you, oh, you look very beautiful today. And there's the same, another person who will tell you you look very beautiful and you will feel threatened or you will feel uncomfortable. And this is harassment for me. This is the, the small line because there are people who have this uh, uh, imposing, um, posture or you feel the difference so just stick to your feeling and don't be like uh, oh maybe i'm getting him wrong or you know the the, the usual technique of harassers or of why did you go this way or why did you feel this way no i i felt it then it's wrong i have the right to say it's wrong so yeah so i failed my math because of the harasser i failed my year uh, and then I went to complain when I actually, I, it was a, a very minor difference uh, to pass the second year. So I went to the dean to complain and then he told me, you know, I actually, since the first, he was my teacher of algebra as well. So he uh, told me the first time you, you stood up in class to ask me a question, I was like, what is this girl doing here? She should be in uh, uh, journalism uh, uh, faculty. And I was like, you know, when you're in scientific field, they don't even tell you that such fields exist mm. uh, so he told me go apply it's uh, uh, you have to have an entry exam if you don't pass come back and I'll see what I can do to pass you to second year and but I really see you there and this is how it started I went to uh, the test I passed and I felt like oh this looks more like me you you have to understand a little bit of everything uh, politics, economy, society, math, uh, everything. So I felt like this is something that looks more uh, like me. And this is how it uh, started. Um, 
And now I would say I'm I'm happy about it because um, because I really don't like to be bored. <laughs> That's my main problem in life. You know, I think when you read a lot when you're young, you cannot just stick to a very limited uh, uh, task. Uh, you, you you need to have your mind working the whole time. So that's what I like about journalism. That's amazing. What did journalism um, uh, provide you with as a woman? Um, yeah, the, the first what ten minutes of this conversation, you've touched on very important issues, right? Uh, the stigma uh, just geared towards women to make them feel that they're less of humans in our societies um, whether it's because of mental issues physical issues we also speak about disabilities and other social issues there is a stigma that is attached to divorce so the mm -hmm. the children of a single mother suffer that stigma too um, yeah. stigma attached to a woman who is beaten by her husband so domestic violence mm -hmm turned against a woman herself, the woman themselves, because there must be something wrong with them. They, they yeah, must, you must have done the copy wrong. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and unfortunately, this is the story of so many women in the Arab world. You know what? This is what made us strong women, basically. Yeah. This is what made us aware that there are rights that we are deprived of as, as women. Yes. Let's um, take the path that we've taken. You took the journalism path. What did it yeah. Provide you with? Well, first, uh, shame towards myself because I remember when I was 16, um, I stood up at, at, at school and I told my teacher that I actually don't want uh, women's rights because I don't want to be equal. I still want the man to take the garbage out. And <laughs> And I was very opinionated and, you know, very sure about it. And uh, it was something that my father used to uh, used to tell us, like, who needs uh, equality? And I remember she laughed and she told me, you know, you're 16 now, but you will work and you will be a mom and you will have a family and then you will change your mom. So I'm not going to be offended by what you're saying now. And so I always now, when I hear women struggle, I always remember that arrogant teenager I was, and I feel ashamed of uh, of how I didn't see all this, even though I was reading so many books. Uh, like uh, now, I read them even differently. Journalism opened my eyes that women in the Arab world are not weak women, like uh, some uh, some westernized uh, point of view would see them they are women who are struggling a lot who are real fighters and they are real survivors and throughout the years they brought so many changes without being too confrontational and they're very smart about it but it's a struggle and i think that uh, what journalism brought to me is is that i saw to which extent uh, it's not um, a it's not a battle between women and men. It's a battle between people who are uh, interested in human rights and people who just want the patriarchal system where you don't have rights, you don't have an opinion, and you just follow. So it's between people who want to lead and people who want to follow, I would say. Um, yeah, that's what journalism brought to it's me. A power, it's a power struggle after all. Patriarchy is um, not just against women's rights, but uh, against men's rights. Um, so tell me more about your um, your experience that um, in, in Al Jazeera that has led you to your recent um, program, which I'm very interested in talking about as well. My program now is um, called uh, Bikasta, or in English we translate it to women voices, but it, the name in Arabic is very important for me to explain. Bikasta is a detonation that shows that a U is going directly to a female. Because I realized that most of the shows about women, uh, they talk about her uh, as a she, but not, not as a you, we don't listen actually to her voice. And because uh, it, it has also uh, another meaning, it means breaking this tea. Uh, because in my idea, in the way I see women, we just put them in a closed circle 
uh, like the ta al marbuta in Arabic. Uh, we we just put her in this circle. You have to be to be beautiful and smiley and well dressed and uh, uh, makeup on and just smiling the whole time. And these are the topics that are about women: fashion, how to raise a child, how to decorate your house, and what to cook today. And so for me, it's not that I love cooking and I love getting dressed well <laughs> and, and I love raising my child. It does not deny this fact. It's just that, no, this is not what a woman is all about. A woman is actually living everything a man is living. She's living politics. She's living uh, uh, economic situation. You know, in the di most dire economic situations, it's usually women who uh, take the responsibility of finding alternatives to feed their family. So in, in war, she's the one who's uh, living all the consequences of the war. She's, uh, uh, she's losing her provider. She has to provide for herself, for her family. She has to move from one country to another sometimes. So she, she has so many responsibilities. And, uh, and just putting her in that close circle and uh, just telling her this is all you need to think about uh, is not even true to what she feels, uh, to what she lives. She, she lives a very uh, hard situation most of the time. Uh, even women uh, who, are, who are coming from a more um, wealthy environment, they have their own struggles, they have their own battles. Uh, and um, I think that we, even in the West, we have this kind of uh, idea, because I lived in France for years, so I, I still remember how they were looking at women in the Arab world. They were looking at us uh, as women who are weak, who are just uh, uh, submissive uh, to the patriarchal system. Whereas we're really strong, uh, a an Arab woman is very strong inside her house most of the time. She's the one leading the house, uh, unless if she's really with, um, with an abuser or I, the way I, the, 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 what I surround me is that most women are the ones who are leading uh, the family uh, in one way or another. Maybe not very confrontational, but they are. Uh, so that's why I wanted to break the stereotype image uh, about women. Uh, the, and I wanted to show them so many things they live. It's, it's in a way to empower women, but I think we have this new trend of empowering women a little bit artificial and shallow in most TVs and uh, in media, mainstream, uh, mainstream media. Uh, and I want to go more deep. Empowering women means you need to empower her politically, uh, so, uh, uh, socially, economically, uh, even health-wise, uh, psychologically. There are so many aspects and of course education, of course. So, uh, so that's why I chose to listen to the stories of these women, not have a specialist tell us. Uh, uh, I think this is what's new about it, is that you hear it from the, the, the I wouldn't say victims because most of the women I, um, uh, I host, uh, even if they were victims at some point, they are strong women who uh, managed to get out of their situation and uh, and move to somewhere better. So, uh, so the personal story of the survivors, I would say. And um, what's special about your program? The program is special on so many different levels. To say the truth, um, there is of course um, uh, the programming that, as you said, speaks to um, the women as consumers. Um, um, they, they talk about fashion, as you said, makeup, um, other things that. Concerned women, definitely, but there's more to women than that. And there are the, the serious, let's say, programs that have been um, uh, addressing women's political empowerment, uh, social empowerment, economic empowerment. But those programs didn't, I would say, many of them didn't survive on the long run. So they started injecting what appeals to women as consumers as well within those programs. So you see, I'm not saying it's wrong. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that maybe because they've uh, looked at their audience and they saw that, you know, serious programs do not appeal to women. Yeah. Is that correct? Do you think that's correct? How do you think your program was received as one of those very serious programs? Um, 
I would say this is where we played on cinematic and the way we presented. We we played really uh, visually on uh, um, emphasizing more the personal story, and uh, we we uh, that's why we include cinema and dramatic scenes. So it's more like a docudrama. Uh, so far, the the uh, women who watch the show they they like it and they uh, manage to finish the episode. I think this is coming because uh, I use the personal story, like um, uh, I, I bring normal women, let's say, uh, between brackets, normal, con compared to specialized or activists, and um, uh, I tackle things more on the personal level, even when they're um, activists, uh, I go on how did that make you feel? Uh, what pushed you on the personal uh, level, uh, psychologically, to go all the way uh, through this. Of course, you run out a little bit sometimes of, uh, of topics, maybe. Um, but I think it's also going in-depth is really... Uh, it takes a lot of time. Uh, I have to admit, I'm not blaming other shows because I can see how it's... Sometimes me, me and the producer, we just say if we were just doing this type of show, like in out, it's live, it's way easier than what we do. Uh, one episode from us takes really at least three weeks to, to finish uh, in, in post-production uh, and the preparation and everything. Um, we invest a lot in it, so it's not really easy for uh, for people uh, on TV who want to go live every week. Uh, it takes really a lot of effort and a lot of passion. You need to find a good team who is as passionate as you about it to to actually dig for the cases. Uh, if I wasn't with uh, this feminist producer who is... Uh, I'm, I'm lucky to have a man who is feminist. <laughs> uh, that's rare. Uh, even with uh, some women, I wouldn't have had the luck uh, uh, I had with him. So it's really uh, a lot of work, a lot of team effort um, to be able to give that depth uh, and to be able to dig and find the right cases um, to talk about it in a not very boring way, because TV is not um, is not something uh, an academic. Uh, it's not you have to talk to everyone. There's the academic, and there's also my grandma who who didn't uh, finish school beyond the, the third grade. So, uh, so you 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 have everyone, and I always keep that in my mind that my grandma needs to understand as much as an intellectual. An intellectual will not get bored by listening to normal people uh, well, when you're bringing genuine stories, whereas uh, an, uh, someone who's not educated uh, will get bored if he's just listening to, uh, for example, uh, I would say, like if we use the terms intersectional and uh, gender issue, gender equality, these are terms they don't even understand. So I'm simplifying things to them. But at the same time, I'm not losing the depth. Uh, it takes a lot of work, to be honest. I read a lot of uh, academic research. I read a, a lot of articles. I see what other people did. I try to ask uh, people when I want to present a topic, how do they see it? So, so I can simplify it because also when you read a lot, you get stuck in a, in a different level of knowledge. So you need to always remind yourself how to talk to people who didn't read as much as you. Um, so yeah, I guess this is what makes me survive so far and not go for the uh, commercial uh, type. And this is what lacks in other shows. Uh, with all due respect, it's, it's, it's just that it's really a lot of work. And mm -hmm. I understand when they um, they have the urgency of the broadcast time that uh, they, they need to give up on some things and and sometimes it's just that they don't have the passion they're just filling the airtime so exactly it's lovely so you touched on your audience and it's lovely that you're um, saying that your program is basically not one of the those elitist programs so it's not geared towards the intellectuals the intelligentsia and the Arab world on the contrary um, you're trying to um, not water it down but um, um, you know, break it down for them in, in, in terms and in, in language that um, would be understandable for the bigger audience. 
um, it is in Arabic, which is also uh, very important. So as you said, it would reach your grandmother, but also, you know, students um, and, and women um, everywhere. Uh, and you touched on something that I love as well, is uh, the he for she. So yes, there are many men, many men in the Arab world who support women and who are feminists, hardcore feminists, actually, more than, uh, you know, some more of More than women. <laughs> more than women, definitely. And they're, they're taking their cause and uh, our cause as their cause and, and they're running with it. And for them, really, I send them um, my love and regards because we do need them. Uh, you spoke about um, how it takes uh, lots of strength and I bet it takes mental and and physical um, uh, psychological strength because I see that you're mostly neutral as if you're trying to be strong and show your strength in front of not victims but real stories the real the yeah. realities of of women within those uh, societies and some of those realities are harsh realities yeah. how, do, how do you deal with that uh, I have to admit that we we now Al Jazeera uh, uh, did for us um, like they gave us a free therapy for everyone who's on the team. Well, I good for you. I think we all need therapy uh, because I had one day even the the editor uh, who's just cutting the images. Uh, he came. He was. Uh, he came out crying and he said, "I just can't take it anymore. These are." real stories and real pain it's not um there there were there are some very strong stories i'm someone who is uh, because of my experience with my mom i would say i'm someone who's psychologically very aware of how things impact me uh, and i think that um throughout my years in the news it uh, it taught me that you do have ptsd even if you're not on the ground and i've been on the ground as well but you also when you are listening to all these stories you you accumulate um a lot of uh, anger a lot of uh, deception a lot of uh, uh, pain as well you you sympathize and now i just take it as my strong point that I sympathize to the point of seeing things that other journalists might not see. Uh, I just do lots of sports after and I try to eat, uh, to take omega, magnesium. Uh, like I really manage my uh, serotonin level in uh, the most uh, healthier way in order to be able to remain chemically strong. Uh, and uh, if I cry, uh, I cry uh, a lot on sometimes it's just the story is so dramatic that uh, I cry with the guest, but I just cut it in the editing. So I allow myself to cry and I allow myself to sympathize. And um, and yes, the, this whole experience, this uh, the, these so many personal uh, stories, uh, you just un you just see more and more how unjust the whole society is towards. Um, I will not just say the woman about towards anyone who is weaker they consider weaker uh, in this in the sense and the standards of society because for me they're not weak people like I remember the mother uh, of uh, a child who has um, a very uh, rare syndrome uh, part of the um, autism syndromes but even more severe and she was uh, she she now immigrated to Turkey where she, and she said that the thing that struck her the most is how people were nice to her child in the restaurant. They were like coming because in their mentality and uh, their culture, uh, anyone who's mentally retarded is someone who brings a lot of good. So they come and like they take a better cat uh, from, from him. Yeah, blessings. Yeah, blessings from them. Uh, whereas in the Arab world, wherever, whenever she was in the restaurant with him, people were like looking at her like, just get this child to shut up or they were not even sympathizing and that we just need to be nicer in a way we, we are a bit bullies and we, um, and we easily ca get carried away um, behind bullies uh, in the society and uh, and we want to impose standards that are not really as human as um, as we want to be. I want to talk about um, your recent trip to uh, to Beirut. So with um, uh, the awful um, catastrophic um, uh, event in Beirut that took place in um, on August fourth, uh, I believe. 
with the explosion that rocked the port uh, of Beirut. Um, you you actually visited um, right after that and you spoke to different women. Were you able to capture um, the miseries that um, have been inflicted on them? Um, um, but and, and still capture the diversity. Um, uh, Lebanese women are so different in terms of religion, sectors, um, class, um, uh, race as well. Um, were, you, were you able to capture that? Uh, yes, uh, yes, and no at the same time, no in the sense of everyone was equal in front of the misery it was really amazing to see not amazing amazing is, is the wrong word but really striking to see uh how people who were living in downtown which is a very expensive area uh, had their houses destroyed the same way as someone who's living uh, in an old rented house uh, in Jamaica. Old rent uh, meaning that these people, if they leave their house, the the landlord will take it back, will take it back and rent it uh, special low uh, for old uh, for people who rented like before the uh, 2000. They uh, they still pay cheap, so. Many of these women, uh, I, we have, we saw a woman who was staying in her house, whereas she doesn't have a toilet anymore. There's a tree now inside her toilet. She has to go downstairs to a neighbor to go to the toilet every day because uh, her rent is $300 per year. If she leaves the house, the landlord is going to come uh, and take back the house. And uh, like we offered her one year, uh, a friend somewhere around Beirut and she was like okay and then after that one year I'm I'm in retirement I'm not going to be able to find a job and I'm not going to be you know, like putting all uh, my hopes on just being helped the whole time uh, until I die so my best choice is just to stay where I am and uh, hold on to this um, distracted house and you have so many people like that and you have people like Zuhair Murad building uh, also really devastated and uh, so everyone was equal in a sense but at the same time everyone was um, had his unique story there's the lady who has to hold on to a destroyed house because she will not afford uh, to rent elsewhere there's the lady who lost everything and she has to start back from zero uh, and they were already in a poor area you have uh, the rich people who also w are not going to easily afford reconstruction because of the uh, catastrophe of the dollar. You have the women who lost their children, um, the women who lost their mothers. Uh, it's yeah, they're they're equal in mis misery and at the same time so so different. And you have. You have people who just want to be strong because we're raised in <laughs> in Lebanon, so where we know trauma so so well that we know that we have to move on, uh, we have to clean up. We have we we just get into this automated uh, mode of uh, okay, what's next? How do we go back to normal? Um, but I think people are more and more aware of. I think this was really major for so many of them. Like they know they have to move on, but at the same time, they see that they're fed up with accumulating all these traumas throughout the years. And uh, they're really tired. People are really tired. And uh, this one was different because it came from within the country. It's not people who were fighting each other. It's not Israel who bombed them. Uh, it's not a terrorist attack. It just took all the security that was also a fragile security, but it took it away from them. Like before, you used to know that uh, if there is a bombing, you just run in the other direction, don't go back there because there might be another one. Now they feel like they don't know where to run to. It's, it was living next to them, uh, next door, and yeah. You're a brave woman. You're a very strong and brave woman. And you went back to your home country to cover um, the miseries of uh, for others that um, you definitely empathize with and identify with. Um, and this takes me back to the personal and the political, um, uh, your personal challenges as a woman, um, growing up um, uh, within that, um, you know, situation that you grew up in, 
um, um, with being a very young um, a teenager without a mother who would help you uh, understand uh, the physical changes that happen to you as a girl and I'm, I'm assuming please correct me if I'm no right, right. also to protect yourself as a girl I guess and this is where um, our role as women um, kicks in uh, we're uh, not gonna be submissive to uh, what others went through on the country we're talking about it out loud which is very brave extremely brave of you it's not easy to talk about it but the moment you talk about it you let it go right you deal with it and you let it go exactly. and uh, by doing that um the benefit millions and millions of girls around arabs muslims non-muslims non-arabs from the middle east from the whole world to see that we share that experience this happens to all of us all of us we all can identify what we, with what you said. Um, and this is really brave of you. But also, I love the fact that you have, um, the, the, the program was your idea. You fought for it. Um, and um, it's on uh, air right now. And I hope it continues to do what it is doing. Uh, it is, uh, you're giving a platform for a woman, a real woman, as you said. Um, to um, to platform for their voices to know what they're going through it's very different people sometimes ask me about um, a certain population of women um, whether here in my own country and I tell them I don't know unfortunately I don't know I can't speak on the behalf of you know a black woman for example I can't speak on the behalf of a poor woman I cannot Okay, but what I can do is find a way uh, for them to speak on their own behalf. And this is exactly what you did. And this is um, admirable, really, Rawa. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud Thank of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank is you. there anything else you would like to tell us, tell people who are listening to this podcast, men and women? Well, I have an issue I would like to address because I'm getting criticized a lot on the show that it's too dark or negative. And um, there's this new trend in the world about being positive and being negative. And I just remember uh, we did a song for Women for Women's Day. And um, we asked the singer to, to actually write the words. And the words were very much inspired by the secret, you know, you, you can take your own destiny in hand and you can achieve things and uh, you can do things uh, by yourself if you just think hard about it and you can fulfill them. And uh, I told the, the, the singer that, yes, her and the society that provides for her, that supports her, yes, she can do that. But I cannot go and tell this, uh, that's not positive, that's insulting if I want to tell it to a woman uh, who, ha who was forced to leave her house and got raped four times in the refugee camp and then she has to get up and find a job to feed her children and just move on just two minutes after she got raped. I cannot tell her that you must have thought about it and got this way. This is not being positive. This is being insulting. So we have to be really uh, aware that being positive is actually say, I got raped. I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to move on. And this is how I will move on and I will deal with it. And then I can be even more positive if I have the power. And I'm, if I don't have the power and I don't have the strength, I'm not forced to, to do this. It's more than enough to stand up for myself. But if I have the strength, I will do my best that this will not happen again to other women. This for me is being positive. And telling the women's struggle uh, is not being negative. It's not a negative thing. Th this is actually very positive because we had so many things happening again and again and again. Like me too, because people didn't talk about it. And I think that our generation is struggling with its own self, uh, with people who just want, oh, we, oh, we're so tired of listening to the misery of others. But if we don't do that, 
if everyone just saw half of the glass full, then we'll end up running out of water one day. So being positive is also seeing half of the glass empty and say, what do we need to do to avoid running out of water? So um, I think that we're new in the idea of positive and negative that we don't know how to really approach it. And I think that I used to think of myself as, some, as someone depressive or depressed. And then I read the study that actually people who are more useful to the society are not the optimistic ones who see half of the glass full. It's people who see half empty and know that we need to do things to stop that. So I now consider myself as someone who's very positive and a happy person, even if I sympathize or I feel the pain or if I'm sad sometimes because I see what other people feel, that's not bad to feel what others do. It's, it's something, it's a duty uh, for every woman who's living a better life to feel what other women are, uh, are living. So, and I think that this is what needs to be positive. Thank you so much, Roa, for being on Women of the Middle East, um, and uh, we're very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you very much for hosting. episode with um, the song that Rawal has mentioned that was um, produced for um, her program um, in celebration of International Women's Day uh, and I give credit to Al Jazeera Network especially Al Jazeera Arabic until next episode uh, stay safe and stay well أن أعطي لحياتي معنى أن أعطي وفي قلبي غضب مع أمل في قلبي لو يأتي يوم للحب متى يأتي يوم لا دمع لا ألم لو يأتي في يوم قالوا لي قالوا لي صوتك مسموع قالوا لي لكن أخذوا صوتي مني وأهانوا ونسوا أني رغم الذلة إنسان قالوها بالعنف صراع سكنت في قلبي فأنا إصرار وصمود وعزيمة لن أستسلم أبدا يوما لهزيمة تتحقق خذ بيدي